this afternoon is pulling together just a few of the strands that June Evans and Dr. Koch have already identified and alluded to here and there. The title is For This Purpose. Say that with me, For This Purpose, the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at two scriptures this afternoon, both in the book of Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 26, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. And so, if you would, turn to Acts 26. We'll read this and then just put this into a, a bit of context before we unpack it. So, Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul talking. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose." to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, in this little version of Paul's testimony, the, the context is that he had been arrested in Jerusalem and removed to Caesarea, and in the the course of the proceedings, he appealed to Caesar, and the governor says, well, you have appealed to Caesar, you shall go. But Festus, the governor, was unsure what to write regarding the charges against him, and so King Agrippa and his sister Bernice happened to be in town, and so they said, well, let's bring out Paul and let him state his case, and King Agrippa can help Festus, the governor, figure out what charges to write as they're shipping Paul off to Rome. And so Paul starts by acknowledging his life as a Jew and as a Pharisee, and then he gets to the Jesus bit. Now, I'm going to come back and unpack this text in some detail, but I want to start by putting this in a personal context. When I was six years old, we lived in 
Athens, Georgia, and my first memory of being exposed to the Holy Spirit was one night, my father and I, we were driving from somewhere to somewhere, and these memories fade to some degree over time, but we were spending the night on this journey at my grandma's house in Lyons, Georgia, and as a six-year-old boy, my father, you know, I had gone to bed first, and then later that night, I woke up, and my father was in the room, and I heard him speaking some language that I did not understand. Now, as a six-year-old boy, I had no idea what was going on, but somewhere in my spirit, I knew that this thing that he was doing had something to do with God. Now, two years later, it was April 1975. Now, this was 40 years and two weekends ago. Uh, <laughs> Do you remember where you were in April 1975? I was in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, this was CBU's second conference. The first conference was the preceding November 1974. I was speaking with a lady last night who was at that November conference in Anderson Auditorium. Right now, well, this was CBU's second conference. It wasn't here in Montreat. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was not at the first one, but this was my first one, and I was down there at the conference, and one of the speakers there was a man named George Otis who had a big impact in my father's life. And this was where I first heard teaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm filtering all this through the mind of an eight-year-old, but what I heard was, you can speak in tongues if you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you want to learn how to do that, come meet us in this room over here after the meeting. And I said, that sounds cool. So I went to the little meeting there, and I'm sitting on the steps with all the other adults there on the side room of the Civic Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was hearing about this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But that raises for me a, a deeper contextual question in, in my life's journey, and it's this. How did a Presbyterian businessman from Macray, Georgia, end up leading a charismatic conference ministry so that people were hearing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? That is a pretty giant mystery. And rather than putting that in my own words, I'm going to ask my dad to come up and tell the story of how he ended up in that moment there in Atlanta, Georgia in 1975. So welcome my dad as he comes to fill in the blank here for us this afternoon. How many of you know you're never too young to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? What a blessing that Atlanta conference was. Tom has asked me to share with you about the history and a lot of things pertaining to Mary Jo and I and our trek with the Lord and CBU. That's like trying to give you one lick off of an all-day sucker <laughs> or lessons on how to stuff an olive. 
40 years of ministry. It is not easy to cover quickly. But it would go something like this. In the book of Acts chapter 2, And when the day of Pentecost had come, how many of you know the day of Pentecost is here? The Pentecost day has come. When you're ready, and God knows you're ready, your Pentecost will come. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. That's a quick thing. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and it appeared to them as tongues distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. And they were, or most of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were begin to speak with other tongues. Now, a suddenly, this is a, one of the suddenlies of God, a suddenly is when and where the timing of God and the purposes of God intersect. You got that? The timing and the purposes of God are now. That's a suddenly. And it was on the day of Pentecost. And God's passion and I believe desire is for us all to be full of the Holy Spirit. And Paul ran into this with a group in Ephesus on the way to Ephesus when he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they did not even know about the Holy Spirit. And when he explained to them what they needed to receive about the baptism with water and John's baptism was repentance, but also there's another baptism of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and they receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit is not an optional thing of our Christian faith and Christian walk. It's like a trunkless elephant. We need the full purpose of God in our lives, including the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what Tom is sharing about uh, mentioning is it's good. This was good for a Presbyterian. Uh, to find out about the Holy Spirit, and that's quite a story in itself. It started with actually Mary Jo's mother, who's a pastor's wife. I married the preacher's daughter. Mary Jo and I started dating in the ninth grade in high school. I've been married all my life <laughs> to a wonderful, absolutely incredible grandma of 11 beautiful grandchildren. All of you know Mary Jo. Mary Jo, stand up in the back and let them wave at you. And great and mighty woman of God. But Mary Jo visits her mother down in Lyons, Georgia, with a question. And, and I'm going to cut a, a lot of things here and just go right to the chase. Uh, about the Holy Spirit and ask her mother, being a Presbyterian pastor's wife and when she had a great deal of trust and confidence in about the Holy Spirit. Well, it just so happens that her mother had been recently invited to attend by her pastor, who's during this time, Mary Jo's dad was pastor of the Lions Church, passed away, and a new pastor came in to pastor the church. And Mary Jo's mom stayed in Lyons and was a school teacher still attending that church. So this pastor invites Esther Nelson, Mary Jo's mom, 
to go with him and a couple of other women in the church to Savannah, Georgia, to a meeting that was being held there. And one of the speakers at this particular meeting was Don Basham. If you might know and remember that name, great man of God. And uh, during this meeting, and as Don shared his testimony about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he made the comment at the end of his sharing. He said, now, if you'd like to receive more of Jesus and this fullness of the Spirit, meet me in such a room. Well, Grandma, Esther, said, of course, I want more of Jesus. Who wouldn't want more of Jesus? So she goes down to this meeting, and sure enough, receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She comes back to Lyons. Shortly thereafter, Mary Jo goes to visit Mom. And uh, there was a, a letter that came to my home church about the Holy Spirit. And our pastor was uh, encouraging people to be filled with the Holy, uh, being filled with the Spirit. And we were visiting my parents, read the letter. So Mary Jo takes the letter and asks her mother, because she knows she can trust Mom, right? Ask Mom about the Holy Spirit. And her mother shares with her and says, uh, well, I have a book that you can read that will help you understand the Holy Spirit and what you're asking about. And it's called Face Up with a Miracle by Don Basham, where he teaches in this book about the Holy Spirit. Mary Jo comes back home to Athens, Georgia, reads the book, sits back in the bed and receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, during this time, I'm a businessman in Athens. I've developed a business of a chain of discount drugstores in four states. Very successful endeavor and doing well. And uh, attended, we were part of a Presbyterian church there. It was a good Presbyterian, an elder. Didn't know the Lord. How many of you know you don't have to know the Lord to be an elder? <laughs> and uh, everything changed in my house. It was totally different. Uh, new friends. My wife was talking on the telephone all the time and chitty-chatty and praise the Lord, hallelujah, and, and Jesus this. And I'm thinking, who is this woman I'm living with now? And so we talked about it some a little bit, and I didn't want to talk about it a great deal, but I found out that with her friends that it was about the Holy Spirit. And so when I found out uh, a little more about it and what had happened with her, of course, it provoked me to jealousy because here's my partner, the one I love most in the whole wide world, all of a sudden changed and different. And I felt that we were not connected somehow. And I felt alienated. And so she, in her uh, gentle way, uh, said, well, I've got a book you might be interested in reading. And it's another book by a businessman, and it's called High Adventure. Now, these two books are the original books, all right, that we've, we have. This High Adventure book was written by a man by the name of George Otis, a good Presbyterian layman in California, CEO of the Learjet Corporation. That really appealed to me and spoke to me because it was a solid 
uh, a presentation by a solid man being a Presbyterian layman, successful in business and a businessman. So I said, well, that sounds reasonable. So I took the book and uh, began to read it. I didn't want to be, appear to be too excited, so I didn't read it when she was around. Didn't want her to know I was that interested. I would be reading in the bed and hear her coming down the hall and put it over to the side. But when I got to about to the halfway mark, it was like George Otis was telling my story in success of business. I was a miserable individual because the whirl of the business world had become a burden instead of a joy. And it was God's timing, and he was getting ready for us suddenly. And this thing had to happen for me in that way that I would fall out of love with one thing, to embrace the true love of what God had planned for my life. And as I read this and understood clearly where George was coming from and his emptiness and loneliness because his wife had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Virginia Otis. And so it was like a parallel of the only difference was the zeros in terms of the dollars were a little different in Learjet Corporation and what I was doing. But George tells in the book where he attends a meeting at a Clifton cafeteria in, uh, right out of Van Nuys. Uh, it was where a group of businessmen would gather on Saturday and Demas Shikarian would speak to the group. And it became or was the beginnings, early beginnings of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. So George goes and he goes up and tells uh, this leader that he was interested in the baptism. And as the book says, before he could turn around, there were hands all over him. And they were praying for him and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I said, boy, that, that's where I am. But how many of you know pride is a very difficult thing to overcome, and especially somehow for a man. When we think about emptying ourselves to a point of admitting that we don't have it together, and then asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit and this speaking in tongues business. We don't do that in our church. Mary Jo and her mother found out about a conference that was going to be held in Montreat in Anderson Auditorium, a Presbyterian conference over the 4th of July weekend in 1972. And she said, would you take us to that conference? George Otis is going to be there. And I said, well, yeah. I, I was feeling guilty anyway about all the time I'd spent in the work and so we load up and come to Montreat and real quickly I couldn't wait to see George Otis and see what he looked like. I'd read his book, so I would always rush in the auditorium to get a front seat. And we sat about two rows back right in front of the main platform without a clue of what was to come. <laughs> You're looking at a very unlikely candidate to be involved in the things that happened thereafter. But during that conference, I was so impacted by the presence of the Lord. This conference was a family conference, Presbyterian, put together by spirit-filled laymen in the Presbyterian church. 
auditorium was packed, uh, 2,000 people probably in attendance. And George Otis spoke the last night, and he talked about the Holy Spirit. And I couldn't wait to hear every word, every syllable, because the Holy Spirit had already prepared me, and there was the hunger in my heart because I wanted what my wife had because the joy was there, the excitement was there, and there was a difference that provoked me to jealousy. And at the end of the meeting that night, George said, well, if any of you would like to come to an afterglow after the meeting, just come over to Gaither Chapel, which is right across the lake here, and I'll share a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. And little did I know, or anyone knew, that George had been instructed, we want you to come and share about the Holy Spirit, but don't minister the baptism because it would create such a problem for us in the denomination because we want to have a good standing with the Presbyterian denomination. These laymen did. So George uh, goes over across the lake. I'm the, when the minute he said amen, I was the first one in Gaither Chapel, and I got right on the front row because I wanted to hear every word he had to say. So George gets up and begins to teach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at the close of his time, this was an afterglow meeting, so it was getting late. But as soon as he said amen, I was the first one to him and said, Mr. Otis, you don't know me, but what you've got, I've got to have it before I go home. And he looked at me and he looked at his watch and he said, just sit down right over there and I'll be with you in a few minutes. And so George greeted all the people and shook hands and all of that. And boy, the devil was so uh, on me to say, get out of here. You don't know what you're about to do. You better leave here. And every, but every time that would happen, for some reason, George would look over at me and kind of smile and say, it's okay. Okay, and then he'd greet the next person. So this went on. Well... This lasted probably 20, 30 minutes because there was so many in there greeting George. And at the end of that time, everyone had exited the building. And George came and sat down by me and began to share with me a little bit about his experience. And he says, now can we just pray and ask God to fill you? And I said, yes, sir. And I can tell you that it was the most glorious moment because in a twinkling of an eye, this desperate person was touched by the power and the Spirit of God. And the prayer language came like that river. And the dam burst. And it was an incredible moment. And everything after that totally radically changed. Mary Jo and I go back home. I was out of love with anything to do with the business. A year just uh, from that July to the next May... I came back to Montreat, invited by a group of men in my fellowship now. We sort of found out who these men were in Athens that I had received the baptism to, and we formed a little group and a prayer group. And then uh, uh, there was a, a conference coming up again in Montreat in May of a leadership conference sponsored by uh, Bob Mumford and... Uh, Charles Simpson and Derek Prince was going to do a meeting for leadership. And so one of the men said, well, let's go to that conference. So I 
agreed to come. And it was at that conference, during the conference, that one of the leaders uh, stopped in the middle of the worship and said, I just feel like that we're supposed to stop right now. There was about a thousand men there. And just, I feel like there's a call of God for some in this room to come down and acknowledge your call in ministry. And I tell you, my feet were moving before my mind went into gear. <laughs> and I was one of the first down front. And they laid hands on us and set us apart for ministry, acknowledging and recognizing and stepping into the call of God. And after that, everything again changed when I get back home and I get out of the business and uh, resigned as president of the company. We had board members, stockholders in the company at that time, and they were livid because I was leaving and going into the ministry, very angry. But we left and moved to Black Mountain, and uh, uh, it was quite an experience, to say the least, to begin the ministry of CBU. At that same meeting in May, uh, I was introduced to Ivory Haynes and a guy by the name of Bob Hopper and a couple of other men who were preparing to start a ministry uh, to distribute Christian books into the secular market, and they were looking for a business person to come in and help them start this organization. And so uh, they invited me to come, and would you consider coming up? And I agreed to, uh, I said, well, let me pray about it. I go back home, Mary Joe and I pray about it, and I get a call. And during this time, it was total conviction that that was the right move to make. So we left all the things in Athens, left the board and that angry group of, uh, they were furious to say the least. Matter of fact, uh, as we left, uh, this is the last meeting we had with the board, with these stockholders, they wanted everything we, that we had. Uh, so I turned over all the stock in the company and left there. And the last word one of the stockholders said was, well, that's fine. You've given us everything. Do you have anything else we can have? So I said, well, I don't have anything else. I go home and tell Mary Jones. She says, well, we've got this house. And I had built her a home on a lake in Athens, a dream house. And she said, well, let's just give the house to them, and we won't have anything. I was totally amazed, but that's my wife. <laughs> and so we did. It's amazing what God will have you do and enable you to do when you're full of the Holy Spirit Amen. and to watch him and his glory. But we left and moved to, to Black Mountain with Tom and his sister, uh, who were six and eight at the time. And we moved up here and rented a house out on Highway 9, which is about 10 miles out. And my kids, when we used to come in every morning for school, to bring them to school, they would count the curves. And so there was 100 curves from the house to the school. But the beginning of CBU was an incredible thing, and that's how it came about and how I came to be part of this ministry. And being filled with the Holy Spirit has been the greatest experience of my life. Radical changing, a suddenly that happens. And I was reminded what the Bible says in Romans, that we are to present 
ourselves as a what? Living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. He's the one that makes us holy and acceptable through Christ. And as we present ourselves, what I often say, what that means is to show up, is to present yourself, is just show up and let God do his thing. So in forming this organization, we had two parts of it. One was CBU, Christian Fellowship, which we started as a true ministry, 501c3, uh, to begin the conference ministry. And the other part of it was Christian Books Unlimited to distribute Christian books into the secular marketplace. And just a few years after we began, and a couple of years actually, we had uh, book racks and hotels and drug stores and uh, grocery stores all over the southeast, uh, over close to 2,000 book racks and distributing over 30,000 books a month. It was incredible. Both organizations, and of course, that November, we sponsored our first conference, the November conference, with Catherine Kuhlman, Bob Mumford, and Jamie Buckingham. We thought we'd have four or 500. We had over 3,000 at the first conference that birthed the conference ministry. In a less than a year, we had a decision to make, is focusing on the profit-making arm, or the nonprofit, and I was president of both. And Gene Evans can tell you that's not a healthy thing. When you've got someone's in the ministry and operating two things with IRS, you've got to be very careful. So we made a decision that we would separate totally the two and two separate boards. So Ivory Haynes and I felt we were being called and led to focus on the ministry of CBU the conference end, and the other men took the book business and continued to work in that and develop that. So that was the birthing of CBU Christian Fellowship and the conferences. And now the conference Tom is referring to in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the speakers invited was Dale Evans. And um, our name at that time was Christian Brothers United was what we took for CBU, for the ministry part, was Christian Brothers. We had five men selected to be on our new board of directors. So we thought that was the right name, Christian Brothers United. Uh, so we get to Atlanta, Georgia, start the conference. Dale Evans sits down at the piano and smiles at everyone. We applaud Dale Evans, and she starts playing Happy Trails to You. And about halfway through that, she stops and looks down at me, and she said, Jim, I've been thinking about this. You've got the name of this organization as Christian Brothers United, but I just sense it's bigger than that. I just think it's more like, because you are working with all of the body of Christ and believers, that it's Christian Believers United. And when she said that, it just hit me uh, direct. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through her. So when we came back, we changed our name and became Christian Believers United. So that, since that time in 1975, we've been Christian Believers United. But being filled with the Holy Spirit and encountering the Holy Spirit, is beyond anything. 
that I can say to anyone of the importance to be available, to be ready, to be changed. I don't care who you are, or what your ministry is, uh, or an individual uh, without being in ministry. If you're living, you're in ministry. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to release that power within your life. So uh, I think our theme is so appropriate that you shall receive power for this weekend. Uh, that we will be, how I many of you know, uh, Averna Tompkins said an interesting thing. She said, you know, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said, was it June? She said, the reason we need to be continually filled is that we leak. And we need to be refilled. And so we're believing this weekend that this is not only, maybe there's some here that haven't received the baptism. We're going to have a wonderful ministry time tonight. But maybe we need to be refilled and uh, reignited. You never get enough of the Holy Spirit. Dad, thanks so much for that stroll down memory lane. <laughs> you know, here's the big idea as we come back to, to Acts chapter 26. And this is, there's a lot of lessons that you could extract from that story, but here's one of them, and it's this. God not only saves us on purpose, he saves us with a purpose. Now, God saves us on purpose. Your salvation is not by accident. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said that it was before the foundation of the world that you were chosen. Now, I don't have the mental capacity to understand that, but I accept it. That God's salvation, his breaking into our lives, his bringing us to himself experientially in the middle of this space-time continuum, he does that on purpose. But he also does it with a purpose. There's a purpose for each one of our lives. And there's a purpose here for the Apostle Paul. Now, what was interesting in my dad's story there is he just kind of glossed over this little just moment. You know, I had this moment with, with George Otis and I started speaking in tongues. And then I went and, you know, it, whoa, Paul's time out right there. He had a powerful moment with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues was just part of the package. Speaking in tongues was not the purpose for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That just comes along with it. When you buy a car, you don't have to ask for the steering wheel as an option. Could, could, could you be sure? You know, I think I'd like a steering wheel this time, along with the red paint. Is that okay? Can I get a steering wheel? No, it just it's part of the package, but that's not why you get a car, you get a car so you can go somewhere. There's a place to go. There, there's, there's a purpose. And God has given Paul a purpose right here. Look in verse 16 of Acts 26 where he, he states this purpose in very clear terms. He tells Paul, rise and stand up on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you've seen and in which I will appear to you. Now, Jesus is incredibly efficient with his language. It doesn't take him many words to get to the point. He states his purpose up 
front. And, you know, here's, here's a big idea. If you can understand the why of your life, you'll be able to figure out the what and the how. Where people get confused is, is when they miss the why. And Paul, God gives Paul this real clear purpose statement. To be a servant and to be a witness of what he has seen in Christ and what he will see in Christ. Now, there are two key words here, servant and witness. Now, in the Greek, the Greek word here for servant is huperetes, which originally in the Greek meant an under rower. So the picture that you need to have in your mind is Ben-Hur. You remember that movie? You remember when he's chained down there under the galley and he's just rowing on this slave ship? Well, that's what this word means. Welcome to salvation, Paul. Jesus doesn't start with a, I love you and think you're special, Paul. The thing he starts with is get down there and start rowing, sonny boy. We have somewhere to go. That's what this word means. The other word is witness. Dr. Cope mentioned this last night. This is the Greek word martus, from which we get the word martyr. Now, it didn't originally mean somebody who died. The original word in the Greek was someone who was called into a court to be a legal witness. What does a witness do? They describe what they have seen and what they have heard. The facts, ma'am, just the facts. Tell us what you've seen. Tell us what you've heard. That's what a witness is. But how did this get linked up with this death idea of dying for your faith? Well... In the early days, Christians would give testimony to what Jesus had done in their life, and that testimony in some situations was enough for them to die. One example of that was a guy named Polycarp. Now, some of you haven't heard of Polycarp, but he was born in the year 69 AD, about three years after the Apostle Paul died in Rome. He was discipled by the Apostle John, and when he was 86 years old, imagine this, he's 86 years old, and his city where he's bishop is throwing a, a pagan festival, and on the last day of the festival at the big feast, somebody had been drinking too much wine, and they said, let's kill some Christians, and everybody said, yeah, let's kill some Christians, and then somebody else said, let's kill Polycarp, and so they said, yeah, let, let's find Polycarp, so this search went out for Polycarp, and they finally found him, and they brought him in front of the tribunal, and they challenged him to deny Christ. And the proconsul said, reproach Christ and you will live. And this is exactly what Polycarp said. He said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So they burnt Polycarp at the stake. He became a martyr, a martus, a witness. All he was doing was telling what he had seen and what he had experienced. He looked at his life and said, for 86 years, Jesus has done me good. That's a witness. That's his testimony. He's just bragging on Jesus. And in certain contexts, bragging on Jesus is enough to be killed. 
So what Jesus told Paul, I have a beautiful plan for your life, Paul. It's to be a servant and a witness, an under rower and a martyr. Welcome to the family, Paul. It's great to have you along. Now, in our Western Christian context, this is, this is difficult for, for us to, to understand. Um, you know, persecution for us is having to bake cakes for, for people. And, but uh, a Christian was recently visiting Vietnam, and in, in Vietnam, Christians are, are persecuted. And this pastor just chatting with this Vietnamese guy, and he said, you know, it's, it's so hard, it's so hard for you guys being a Christian. This persecution is so terrible. And this Vietnamese guy said, persecution is not the most difficult thing we face. The most difficult thing we face, the worst thing that can happen to us is if we disobey God. That's what hurts us. That's what God brought Paul into and what Paul said yes to. That's the attitude that, that marked his life. He says here in verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. For Paul, obedience mattered. And that's how he lived. I mean, listen to what he wrote to the Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to how he described his life. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now that's amazing, but it brings me to this question. How is it that this guy Paul was able to live like that? How is it that this man could live in that kind of pressure? And I think there's a two-part answer. The first part is this. He had a very clear purpose to his life. He had been called to be a servant and a witness. And when your life is gripped by purpose, the price tag doesn't matter. Have the house. I don't care. I've got Jesus. When your life is gripped with purpose, the price tag doesn't matter. But when Paul's life, it wasn't just purpose. He also had the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life. Everything that he says here in Acts 26, everything he heard from Jesus is exactly what Jesus unpacked in Acts chapter 1 as the purpose of this power. Turn and let's look in Acts chapter 1 and read this just to hear straight from Jesus what what he's teaching. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, our, our theme verse for the conference. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, here's the deal. Just like my dad, we as charismatics love to go to Acts chapter 2. We love to read that Pentecost moment, and it's powerful. But the deal is that we can't skip Acts chapter 1. It comes before. That, that's how we get to Acts chapter 2. In other words, the power of Pentecost is deeply connected to the purpose of Pentecost. And as we look at this, this verse in, in Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 8, it takes place in the context of a conversation with the disciples. And then in verse 6, they, they ask Jesus a question. It's, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I find this fascinating because just like today, these disciples were fascinated by eschatological prognostication. And these were the kind of guys who spent their time studying the eschatological charts. They had done their research in the original Hebrew. And in, when you read this question, it wasn't just a, a generic question. They expected a yes answer. Jesus, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't quite get the answer that they were expecting. It, you, you may know some people like, like these disciples. I remember walking into this one pastor's office, and he had his whole eschatological theology up on this chart on the wall. And he had done the research. He had cracked the code. He had figured it out. And he had it marked when Jesus was coming back. It was right there. And I was like, wow, you're, you're, you're a lot smarter than, than me. But, um, you know, I, I grew up on, on those kinds of books as we had lots of books about. I remember one, 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon. And you know, there's some guys who made boatloads of money predicting when Jesus was going to come back. One of them happened the year I was graduating from university. 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. 4.5 million copies of that book were sold in bookstores in the United States. I guess in some ways it's understandable. We are the nation that invented professional wrestling. Some people actually believe it's real. But silly Christians actually went out and maxed out their credit cards because they were convinced they weren't going to have to pay off the balance. Jesus is coming back. Of course, the next year it was 89 reasons he was coming back in 89. Here's the point. The disciples are just like people today. They were eschatologically fascinated. But Jesus does not get distracted by that question. He brings them back to the purpose. In verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's not your deal, guys. The Father has that taken care of. Trust me, Father's got that. But here's your deal. You'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, there's four things I want you to see in this verse, and then we'll wrap this up. First, there's a promise here. Jesus says, you will receive. He's not venturing a guess. He's not saying you might receive. This is, he's not, not offering a possibility, if you like it. This is going to happen. Second, the promise is power. You'll receive power. Now, the Greek word here for power is dunamis, strength, power, ability. This is the word from which we get the word dynamite. You guys are going to be dynamite force. The third thing is that this power is on purpose. The purpose is to be a witness. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he calls Paul, the word witness. You guys are going to be my martus. You're going to testify about my life, death, and resurrection. You're going to tell other people what you have seen and heard and experienced in me. Now, it would be really easy to get off on a rabbit trail right here because it's heartbreaking when you go to a church, you listen to a podcast, and you just can't find Jesus anywhere in the mix. Um, A pathway towards a powerless church is a Jesusless church. Pathway towards a powerless sermon or a powerless gospel is a Jesusless sermon or a Jesusless gospel. The commission to Paul was real clear. You're going to talk about me. You're going to talk about what you've seen and experienced in me. And so, this power of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness to what we've seen in Jesus. But the problem, a problem that sometimes afflicts us as as charismatic Christians is that we have a great moment in God when we first encounter the Holy Spirit, but over time, the novelty wears off. Now, don't answer this question out loud. Do you speak in tongues as much now as when you first got baptized in the Holy Spirit? See, if you're a boxer and you know you're going to be getting into the ring with somebody that can kill you, you train. You train a whole lot. But sometimes if you're not expecting to get into the ring, you let yourself go a little bit. Now, tonight there's one of the the biggest fights of all time. Kale versus Mayweather. And, you know, if you're getting into the ring with somebody who can kill you, you're going to get ready. But the problem is that if we're not involved in the ring, then we start wondering why we need the power. We need the power because there's a purpose. And the purpose is to be a witness. But going back to those steps in the Civic Center in 1975, all I heard was, if you get this, then you can speak in tongues. But part of that is so that we can be empowered to be a witness. 
It's like this. I remember when I was 15 years old and my dad first handed me the keys to the car and said, Tom, go back the car out of the driveway and drive it around to the front of the house. Now, I was thrilled. This is the first time I got to drive the car all the way around by myself. I mean, it was such a, it was just up here on Lookout Road. It was such a significant thing. I still remember it. Now, I don't remember backing the car out of the driveway two years ago because I've done it so many times. But that first time, it was, you remember that. It's an indelible thing. And you know, if my dad asked me to, to do that now, I'd be concerned. I'd be, what's the matter, Dad? Got some physical issues? What's, what's going on there? But see, the baptism in the Holy Spirit's like that. When you first encounter the Spirit, you're first speaking in tongues. It's an amazing thing. But then over time, the novelty wears off. And what happens? You stop speaking in tongues as much as you did at the very beginning. The Apostle Paul, later in his life, still in writing to the Corinthians, said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. That was part of his early Christian experience, and it was a part of how he walked with Jesus. But the reason he did that was because he was in the ring every day. It was not optional equipment for him. He'd get his head knocked off in the rings that he was in. And as we wrap this up, there's one more thing for us to see in this verse. There is a promise, there is a power, there is a purpose, but there's also a place, and it's this. Jesus told them that there were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The place is everywhere. And we see a little picture of this in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. In verse 8, there's this description, and it says, And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells them, you're going to go all over the world. In Acts chapter 2, verse 8, we hear the nations, we're reading about the nations gathered in Jerusalem. Then if we turn to the end of the story in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, the nations are gathered around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. That's a beautiful picture. But how does that picture happen? It happens when we practice the purpose and in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave the disciples in Acts 1 and that he gave Paul in Acts 
26, for this purpose, to be a servant and a witness to what we have seen and experienced in Christ. You know, we, our lives on planet Earth are really just a momentary vapor. It's just, just a moment that, that God lets us be here on, on this planet. And now there's a lot of people out there, as June was describing this morning, a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And it's amazing to me that in hearing the story of my dad's that all the way back to my grandma encountering the Holy Spirit in this meeting in Savannah, Georgia with Don Basham. Just one Holy Spirit encounter has now grown to be impacting lives with the gospel all over the world. You know, this, the purpose of CBU, the reason we exist to do everything we can so that the gospel of Jesus can touch as many people as possible. You know, somehow, for some reason, God has led us to areas and, of involvement and, and engagement where the gospel isn't thriving, challenging places like Ukraine and like Scotland. And it's challenging there, but God has called us to be a servant and a witness to what we have seen in the lives, in the life of Jesus, what we've experienced in our own lives. And, you know, I praise God, as Paul said, for this capacity to speak in tongues and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we never lose sight of the purpose. God gives us this power of the Holy Spirit so that the nations can hear the gospel. So that people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation can be gathered around the throne of God. You know, like he told Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I don't have to describe for you, as, as June was doing this morning, how dark the darkness is. The only way that we can do this faithfully is in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are situations, there is darkness so dark that it is way past human wisdom. I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. But praise God, the power of the Holy Spirit is able to reach into the darkest situation, the darkest life. If a murderer like Paul can get saved on the road to Damascus, there is no person beyond the grace of God. I'm so encouraged by my dad's story about his personal encounter with the power of of the Holy Spirit. Many of you, if not most of you, have had an encounter just like that. We could be here all day celebrating your stories. My encouragement to you is simply this. 
Don't forget the purpose of the power. Maximize this moment on planet Earth to be a servant and a witness of the grace of God in your life. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, as we each personally reflect on our own stories, Lord, we just give you praise. We just say thank you, God. Lord, thank you, God, for a grandma hungry for you down in Savannah, Georgia. Thank you, God, for a, a businessman who got tired of, of zeros and said, there, there's something more to life than these numbers. Thank you, God, for your grace breaking into every one of our lives. But I pray, God, that we would not forget that there is a purpose for the power of your spirit in our lives. There is a ring of battle to which you beckon us, not to beat on people like this boxing match tonight, but to love on people through faithfully being a servant and a witness to what we have seen and heard in Christ. Living God, we confess that the darkness that we face is more than our natural capacity to penetrate or understand or remove. But yet, like Paul, you send us to open the eyes of the blind that they might be transferred, oh God, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Lord, people are coming to each of our minds right now. And Lord, we pray for those in Jesus' name, those that have not yet tasted and seen and experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Lord, we confess that we leak. So God, we ask that you would fill us afresh. Lord, where we have wandered, we ask that you would bring us back on track and in line with your purposes, oh God. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. May we be faithful under rowers, faithful stewards, oh God, of your grace in our lives. We ask this all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.